Welcome to Creating Synergy, where we explore what it takes to transform. Whether you are transforming yourself, your team, your business, or your community, we'll connect you with insightful and challenging leaders who share their stories of successful transformations to give you practical ideas for your own journey. Join us for another insightful episode of Creating Synergy. All right, welcome to the Creating Synergy podcast. Today we have uh, Matthew Mikhailovich on our show. Thank you for being here. My Matt. pleasure, Daniel. We'll uh, give you a little bit of a profile. Uh, today, Matt joins us with over 20 years of experience in starting and running high growth technology companies. And he specializes in the area of machine learning, predictive analytics, and decision optimization. From 1994 to 1999, Matthew was the founder of fitness forever and a, a personal training business and later the co-founder of cfg investments a money management company that had over 150 dollars and 150 million dollars under its management his achievements have been recognized by numerous publications including time newsweek and forbes he was named the percy entrepreneur of the year university of north carolina alumnus of the year and ernst young entrepreneur of the year finalist from 1999 to 2003, Matthew was the co-founder of New Tech Solutions, where he raised $15 million in venture capital and grew the business to 200 employees. He established an A-list board of directors, which included, but wasn't limited to, the president of Poland and Nobel Peace Prize winner, Lech Walesa, and the world-renowned fraud expert, Fra Frank Abagnale, who you might know have been played by Leonardo DiCaprio and, Spiel and Spielberg's blockbuster, Catch Me If You Can. New Tech Solutions was then acquired by Natezza and then subsequently bought out by IBM. From 2005 to 12, Matthew was the co-founder of and CEO of Solvit Software and grew the company to just under 200 employees and $20 million in revenue before selling it to the behemoth Schneider Electric. Under his leadership, Solvit Software became the third fastest growing company in Australia in 2012 is ranked by Deloitte. Currently today, he is the CEO of a company called Complexica, who provide artificial intelligence software for supply and demand optimization, and is also on the, a director of a, several businesses or ASX listed companies. On top of this, <laughs> Matt is also the author of, a, of several books. One that I have right in front of me, Life in Half a Second, the other's Winning Credibility, puzzle-based learning, and adaptive business intelligence. So it's pretty, exhausting just it's, listening to it. It's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty profound though. Uh, it's a long journey, a lot of scars. You must be proud. I think so. The journey of creating businesses, where, where does that come from? Is that a childhood thing? No, that's, that's a good question. I think uh, it comes from not being satisfied in terms of being an employee. So there's, uh, it reminds me of a saying or, uh, or a, um, a general thing I might have read a long time ago that people hate two things, generally speaking. There are people that, uh, are, that hate complete uh, uncertainty. They don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. They don't know if they're going to live or die, have a job. You could see how uncomfortable it would be to live in that kind of environment. But what people also hate is complete certainty. If they knew everything, when yeah. they're going to die, what, no. who they're going to marry and so on. And people fit uh, based on genetics, personality, upbringing, 
uh, in somewhere in that spectrum. And so I like uncertainty because with uncertainty, the dream is alive. Tomorrow can be anything. You can make it into anything. Uh, whereas a lot of people were very uncomfortable in that and don't become entrepreneurs because you have to be comfortable with uncertainty. Uh, whereas a lot of people love certainty. They become maybe government bureaucrats and they stay in roles that are tenured and they have a job security and they know exactly where they're going to be in five, 10 mm -hmm. years. So I think it comes down to uh, where you comfortably sit on that spectrum. And I love being in a situation in life where anything is really possible in the future because you're running a business that in itself could become anything. And if I didn't have that, life would be very unsatisfying and and um, I don't want to say unpleasurable, but just you always know what it's like to be an entrepreneur and it's hard to go back to yeah. you know, a job. But you're on your fourth business now, sold yeah. three yep. or all four? Uh, all of them were sold, oh, but, sorry, all but the last, last one, the, the, the previous yeah. two were significant sales. sales. Yeah, whereas the, with the previous ones before that, and this is the fifth one. I tried to look yeah. up some prices. They're all uh, yeah. non-disclosed, <laughs> but we won't go there. Um, when, when does it, when does an, when does the journey slow down for you? I, I think, uh, I don't think it will slow down in the sense that you stop doing the things you do and you just lay in a chair and look yeah. at the ceiling, I think what you do changes. So yeah. the pace doesn't change. It's the it's the type of work. So when I was creating companies before, or even at the beginning of Complexica, and I think I might have shared this with you, it was hundreds of sales calls a year, hundreds of flights. It's the um, kind of guerrilla warfare that needs to be done to launch a business. Uh, creating a company, I think, is one of the hardest things you could possibly do in technology because you have nothing at the beginning. You've got mm. no brand, no intellectual property, no customers, no employees, no one knows you, nothing. Uh, and you're trying to turn that into something, office, employees, brand, product, references, and, and making that jump is very, very, very difficult. Yeah. And, and hence why most companies fail in making that jump. But once that jump has been made, your next job would be to create a team that can make that business sustainable. So a team that can market the product, sell the product, uh, install and implement the product and support the product. And once you're... so all of a sudden you're changing what you're doing. Yeah. And then once you've done that, you actually have a sustainable business that runs by itself, barring unforeseen events. Yeah. And then again, you change what you do. So I've, I think like this book, um, uh, Life and Half a Second outlines, the most valuable thing in life is time uh, because you can never get it back. So how you spend your time is probably the most important question you could ever ask yourself. So the pace doesn't change. It's how you spend that time, what you do that that dramatically changes. And, and if I could give you one overall answer to that is you've got to be satisfied with how you're spending that time. So if you keep looking in the mirror day in, um, day out, month after month, and you're not happy with the day ahead of you, the week ahead of you, and so forth, that's a very awful way to live. So the changes that you go through in life kind of realign the spending of time with the things that are of interest to you, that are pleasurable. Like I love writing books. Mm -hmm. And and even if there was uh, never any commercial outcome for any book that I ever did, I'd still do it mm -hmm. just from the sheer pleasure of doing it. So that's the the, the thing that's important. So on, on the book, <clears throat> Life in Half a Second, which I must say had a profound impact on me. I, I read it when 
I think it was 2014 you wrote it. Was that when it uh, came out? No, in 13. 13 so one year, yeah, yeah. yeah. One year earlier. It came out, yeah. So I think I read it in 2014. And at the time I read, just before I read the book, I read The Alchemist. Oh, yes. Very famous book. Yeah. Very famous. So yeah. I read by it's Paulo Coelho. Yeah. And that book is a, is a story of a journey of a, of a young boy who goes through and the ups and downs and the difficulty yep. and taking the first step and all, yep. all finding himself, finding himself, and, yeah, everything. Amazing book, yep. And probably one of the most recommended books that I've given. Yep. One of my father's favorites yeah, of all time. Unbelievable. Yep. Just after I read The Alchemist, I picked up a friend of mine handed me over the counter. I was at my old job. And he handed, he goes, have a read of this. This guy's from Adelaide. He married, he's from, he's from the US. He married an, an Adelaide for. Uh, no, that's not true. Oh, it's not true? No, no. no oh, no. you're from the, you're from Poland. Yeah, and I married a Polish girl. Oh, you married a So Polish there was no Polish tie to Adelaide oh, okay. when we moved. Oh, there yeah, you yeah, go. Yeah. We'll go into that in yeah, a second. Yeah, yeah. So he goes, he lives in Adelaide. That's true. Yes. <laughs> we got there. We got there. You like your facts, right? <laughs> so I've picked up this book and as a follow-up to The Alchemist, and you've probably never had this comparison, but as a follow-up, I've got this story which tells me of this journey and the faith that I need and the belief that I need in myself and, yep. and the risks that you need to take. Yep. And then I pick up this book and it steps out how clearly I can do that. It, it had such a profound impact on, on my life. Uh, and I love, I'm very much like you. I like facts. I don't mm -hmm. like the airy fairy yep. fluff that comes in there, that, that people, you know, the secret and all this sort of stuff. Yes. Yep. Um, the, I love that you've got the reference notes and where you've got this information yep. from. And not only that, further the tat, I'm a, I'm a bit of a sci-fi geek as well at heart. And so your concept of the life in half a second, at the same time, there was, I think it was, and I checked the dates. It was released after your book. So <laughs> that's a caveat here. Neil deGrasse Tyson hosted a TV program called Cosmos, a yes. space-time odyssey. And with that, he talked about the origins of the universe. Yep. And he put the, the lifetime of the universe into a calendar year. And he's kind of followed the exact same steps wow. that you outlined. So I've had two of the same pieces of information come in, then followed by these steps. So in my life, I think from I think it was a really pivotal point in my life. Fantastic. Number one, thank you oh, for that. It's, it's uh, no better feedback an author could get than that. Thank you. Absolutely. And but I'm so interested in how your brain works to come up with that and how you've come up with that perspective. So, hey, could you give a bit of a background as to what? Yep. That is? so that the listeners can understand and then I, sure sure so being an entrepreneur since i was 18 so i went to the university and had my first business fitness forever in the university really taught me uh, some very hard lessons very very quickly so unlike a job where you show up and someone pays you a salary as an entrepreneur you actually have to make something happen to be paid you have mm. to find a prospective customer convince them to do something buy a service buy a product deliver that product or service, collect payment from mm -hmm. them, right? There's all of this stuff yeah. that, you don't, that you don't think about as an, em yeah. as an employee. Yeah. So I really began to appreciate how difficult it is to be an entrepreneur and why businesses fail and being a kind of a, a person that wants to uh, do everything humanly possible to succeed. I began reading a lot about entrepreneurial success and that spilled over to just the concept of success in general. Yep. And um, as I achieved entrepreneurial success, which, which might have been eight years later in the first tech company and so forth, I was asked to give a lot of talks 
on what I thought were the fundamental drivers that enabled uh, success. And this was still in the United States before, long before the book, long before yeah. coming to Australia. And I probably had like a presentation with like a dozen factors that were really important to success. Like one of them is credibility because people don't buy or businesses don't buy from organizations that are not credible, that mm -hmm. won't back up the product. And then from that over time it and further reading and reading research papers, doing my next company, et cetera, I distilled it really just to five factors and everything could fit into those five factors. And I had a really good keynote, which was called uh, Five Doors of Success, mm -hmm. where I explained in detail why it works and so on. And I refined, and I probably delivered that keynote probably two or three hundred times yeah, wow. uh, before the book was written. And then when uh, Solvit Software was sold, the company before Complexica, I decided to take all those presentations, all the research notes, and just put it into a book um, for no other purpose than I wanted it to live in a document. Yeah. That was a, like like rather than in a presentation or in a podcast, et cetera. I've always loved books. So I wanted to put it into a book. And I had the time to do it. And And when I began writing it, I fell in love with the stories that are in there. It made me relive certain mm. things uh, in my own past. It made me rethink certain subjects. You know, you think you have a good understanding of it, but when you have to communicate it in a book, it makes you sometimes re-question it. Okay, hold on. Is that really how it works? Or is it is it this? Is this the right example to give? Right. So it gave me the opportunity writing the book to refine the thoughts and the messages to a greater level of precision than you would do in a 45 minute presentation. Yeah, and then out of that came the book. That was the kind of the whole journey from beginning to end. Beautiful. But the concept of the half second. Yep. Where did that, where did that spark you? Because it, it's yep. life changing for people who are, and yep. when I say Alchemist was one of the most recommended, I'd say yours would be in that top two or three wow. as well. Because I generally package them up as a bundle. So read these two. One's the journey. One's the practical style. Wow, that's to, yeah, that's a huge compliment. Thank you. And how how did I come up with that? First of all, I love cosmology, um, quantum mechanics, uh, physics in general. I love those subjects because they deal with the nature of reality. Mm -hmm. What is real? It's almost like today's science, specifically uh, physics, uh, has reached the point of philosophy. Where, where I've even seen uh, talks in, in major conferences between philosophers uh, like uh, that, that practice, uh, maybe they uh, practice Buddhism or, or some yeah. kind of, and world-leading physicists that are you know, Nobel Prize yeah. caliber. Yeah. Uh, and what they're discussing is what is real and what isn't, like what is this table really made of? And yeah. these are still unanswered questions. So having a love for that, topic yep. uh, the age of the universe and really when the big bang started what was before the big bang was that perhaps a black hole in another universe do black holes compress matter and then create other universes yep. on the other side having always a fascination of that i've always appreciated how very short everything is oh. in cosmic uh, scales Correct. so so being a practical person and spending a lot of time with other people you see the stresses, the worries, the anxieties that people and companies have. Not that they're not justified, these worries and anxieties, they are. But when you put them into that cosmic perspective that, hey, the whole thing's going to be over in the blink of an eye, it kind of it makes you kind of look at it at a, at a different way. So I wanted to merge those two things yeah. in, in the book, rather it being the kind of book, hey, you know, a fanatical book, uh, make the most of your life and do this and do that, et cetera. I wanted to overarch it with this overall message hey it's so short 
It's so incredibly short. And that's where the life in half a second. Correct. Yeah, the original title of the book was The Five Doors of Success, just like the keynote that had been done hundreds of times. And the opening chapter that you referenced was actually the last thing I wrote at the very, very end as a call to action. And then when reviewers read the book, they said, hey, this is so powerful. You should bring it as the introduction, which I did, changed the name of the book. And then I wrote what is now the conclusion, which has uh, cosmology in it It, and different different things that that are interesting in the universe. It's fascinating. So just for the listeners, the concept is that in the the universe 13.8 billion years ago or something like that, uh, the Big Bang happened and since then, the human the human story began yep. 22 minutes ago. I, I The scale is sli- slightly so different. I took the age of the planet. The age of the planet. The okay. age of the planet. And, uh, and okay. I scaled that down, I think, to a year. Yes. And okay. then within the within the course of a year, so kind then, of like, yeah, yeah. Then, then 22 minutes ago, civilization began and, uh, and your life's going to be yeah. half a second and, and so forth. It's so... It's so fleeting that oh. it's, uh, it's 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 actually hard to comprehend. It is and uh, and wrap your head around the the Neil deGrasse Tyson cosmos reference that I, he put it from the beginning yeah, of the of the universe makes it even saying, shorter. He was saying, yeah, the human human species begun at eleven fifty nine and yep. fifty seven seconds, and it might uh, be over at twelve oh one. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and no one it, will ever notice exactly right. So. Yeah. It is it is amazing yep. to when you gain that perspective of how short life yes. is. Yes. It my my life transformed. Well, I think a big part of my change of thinking was the well and you wrote it in the book too, which was and and, and you referenced it not five seconds ago when you said I think I wanted to leave a legacy. I wanted to have it written down. I wanted to leave something yes. behind. And yeah. then I thought, well, what am I leaving behind? What am I going to do for people that who may remember me? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm going to have children one day. I do have two children now and, and I'm on that journey. So yeah. Yeah. It, uh, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. For me, so thank you for for for. Uh, can we go into the five uh, steps? Whatever you like, yeah, absolutely. I'd love just for you to. Not talk sure I remember through. them, but let's try. I'm well, there was <laughs> I'm from what I what I've got I've got here it was define was the first one. Define yes. your goal. Correct, correct. So, do you want me to talk to it, or yeah. do you have some questions? No, or? you go for it. I just want to hear you talk. <laughs> the the I, probably the the first two are the most important. Uh, because they make the rest kind of click uh, into place. But uh, the fundamental two things that are needed to su- to achieve something is to know what you want to achieve, or, or otherwise uh, existence becomes random, your business becomes random. It's like starting a business and there's no goal. You, there's no goal about which market you'll serve, what you'll do, which sectors, then things are random. You meet mm. someone, you do this, et cetera. Things might happen or, or might not. So I think it's fundamental that we actually define as clearly as possible what it is that we're trying to do. Yeah. Uh, because then your mind has a focal point. You begin thinking about it. You begin turning it over in your head. You can begin reading and absorbing other material and comparing it to the mental image you've got in your head. You can begin asking questions about that mental image of your of your goal um, what's the best way to achieve it what are there any parallels uh, that I can look to are there any shortcuts you, you, your mind has now uh, gotten something concrete to look upon and focus on I think that's without that 
nothing else matters. That's the kind of the end, end of the journey. But, and, but the second one, and, and equally important, and when I was writing the book, I even struggled whether the f- second one should be the first yeah. chapter or the other way around. Yep. And, and I tried both ways. Uh, and I can tell you later why, why I chose the way I did. But the second one is actually having the desire to achieve the goal because most goals are not achieved, the vast majority. Like look at New Year resolutions. I think I quote somewhere in the book that depending on which country and which year and which statistic you look at, something like 80% of New Year resolutions are not achieved. And the reason for that is that people don't uh, desire the goal as much as they do something else. So they set these, you know, they wake up on January 1, I want to lose weight and I want to be a millionaire and I want to have a different job and I want to have my own business and I want to get married or divorced or have kids or get rid of kids, whatever they do. (laughs) But nothing actually happens because it's this kind of wishful thinking. Complacency. Yeah, um, the the hunger for it doesn't exist. So the the word desire uh, is used by different texts, different speakers, different people uh, in different uh, ways. They might call it motivation. They might call it ambition. They might call it hunger. But it's 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 the same thing. It's this it's drive. That's mm. a very pop- popular mm. word. Yeah. I call it desire. So you have to have this burning desire to actually get the goal. It's pur- purpose. Is that uh, the same thing? Or? Purpose uh, kind of... Uh, broaches bigger topics okay. you know the um, what's my purpose is, yeah. is this you know meaning and, and so forth we're here i'm just this talking is the beginning of that i'm talking about yeah. animalistic desire for yeah. something like the desire for a pair of shoes yeah so my you know a pair of shoes is not my purpose my desire for it is so intense that no matter what i'm going to get those pair of shoes yeah. whether i have to steal them kill someone <laughs> for them work for them right yeah. so i'm talking about that rawness yeah. of emotion yeah. uh, almost and so when you couple a clear goal with very intense desire, it actually makes the mind continuously think about that thing. I, I use the analogy of falling in love. Uh, um, I've, I've, I was unfortunate enough to give a, a keynote not too long ago before the virus broke out. And I asked the audience, there's probably a couple hundred people in there, how many of you have been madly in love before? And only a few people raised their hands. I was like, whoa, how, how pitiful is this? But forget the rest of yeah. my keynote. Go out, there and, go out there and fall in love. That's the, the follow-up question, how many of you married? Yeah, um, that's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I stopped at that point. I changed. Uh, I changed gears, but but I used I used Good that choice. analogy you, you, because when you when you're madly in love with someone, what happens is you want to be with that person. That yeah. that's the goal yeah. to be together, however, okay. and the desire for that other person makes you only think about them, right? Mm. So I try to use that as an analogy for another for goals in general. Imagine feeling about a goal that way where you're in madly in love with the goal and you just cannot think about anything else imagine how much effort you're going to put into it how much focus you have on it so the other um door where does the blurred lines there sorry is there like using the love example yeah and then you could use business in the same breath right yes i have a burning desire to start and create my own company yes but what that company does, what that company is, doesn't matter. Same thing with love. I have a burning desire to be in love. But no, that's different. It's different. Well, it, I mean, if you have a, 
I don't know that the difference between someone having a burning desire to be in love versus the burning desire of being in love, I think are two fundamentally yeah. different. The first one is a logic thing. Yeah. I would love to be in love. Yeah. I would love to have a business. Yeah. Whereas the second one is the actual emotion itself. So I'm talking about, so I mentioned it at the beginning, uh, I'm not sure if it was in the podcast or before we started that I'm writing several books at the yes. same time. And one of them is a fiction book and I'm learning how to write uh, fiction extended like it would be four times longer than this yeah. book and you have characters and you have plot my love for that book is so intense that i think about it all the time and it's not about i don't think it'll ever be published i don't think it's ever going to have a commercial outcome but it's the love of language it's the love of putting a story into text uh, you can see kind of like your own dna flowing into the words and then you have the like an artist or a sculptor uh, or a painter, you know, you, you can you can shape it and form it. And you can make it look beautiful and sound beautiful. And my love for that endeavor is so great that without a doubt, I'll finish it. Um, and there is no commercial goal at the end of it. But I'm so focused on it because of the desire to do it. It kind of make it, it happens yeah. by itself almost. So what happens in New Year resolutions is people set a goal. I want to lose weight. Yeah. They're not really in love with that no. goal. They're, I've done that every year. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, absolutely. So, so, they, so they have perhaps a clear goal. I think goal. I love food more. Than yeah, <laughs> correct, correct. Yeah, they're, they're, Their love is actually for socializing at the pub <laughs> yeah. and fine wine and beer and all of that kind of stuff, not actually for exercise and, and fasting days. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that I don't think it's that you don't appreciate it. It's that the others trumpet, they, they beat it. Yeah, you have other desires that are more uh, important or greater. Well, it's the connection between people sharing food and alcohol and sitting around a table enjoying a nice wine and some cheese. Yeah. Will far outweigh my desire yeah. to lose I can't, five kilos. I can't wait to start eating after, yeah, that's after right. you say that. <laughs> Bring in the wine. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the next one, then we we go into belief. Yes. Um, so keeping in mind that I really think that the first two are pivotal because the next three. Uh, have limited applicability without the first two being in place. If yes. you don't know what you're going to achieve uh, or what you're going to go after, um, it's the end of the journey. And if your desire to achieve it is not really, really intense, you're not going to put in the effort, you're not going to think about it. You probably forget about it, actually, mm. is what happens. Yeah. In terms of belief, all the research uh, that exists on behavioral sciences and performance of children in schools, placebo studies so from different disciplines, not just from entrepreneurship yeah. or, or from business, really point to a factual conclusion that our beliefs are more important than reality. Uh, and that sounds like a really airy-fairy kind of statement. The, the reason it's true is because people act on what they believe rather than on what is real or not. So, mm -hmm. so and, and you see that, you might, you might see that in riots, you might see that in legal yeah. confrontation, et cetera. People don't act on the absolute truth. In fact, the absolute truth might be unknown. They 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 act on what they believe yeah. is is the absolute truth. So, people have to believe that they're that they have the competence and the ability to achieve the goal. Mm. Uh, because without that fundamental belief, you don't try. Mm. If you fundamentally believe that something is impossible, the only logical action you could take is not is to do nothing because it'd be wasted kind of action. Correct. So, people that go after difficult things at least some of them have at least some part of them have that belief it can be done if for no other reason that other people have done it mm. 
Yeah. So, and this is a very, very difficult subject in general. It, it touches upon human psychology, uh, upbringing, how you were raised, what your parents told you when you were growing up, how they how they shaped your view of the world. Uh, and then there, so so it's difficult from that perspective. But then it's simple in the sense that that people should understand belief comes from the environment, from yeah. how you again how you spend your time, but specifically with who you spend your time. Sure. So if you spend your time with people that are self-limiting or negative, everything's impossible. You can never succeed in Adelaide, and why would you ever do that, etc. You end up taking on those kind of beliefs. Correct. If you spend time with people, anything is possible, and you can build a global business from Adelaide, and it can be done this this way and that way, et cetera, you take on a different set of beliefs. So that's the third door. The third door. So I'm going to package those three up. I'll yeah. ask you a few questions around, sure, sure. around those. So we have divine desire and belief. I am an entrepreneur. There's people out there who are creating their own businesses. Let's use a, a, a random rule of thumb number that most people will say. So I want to build a million-dollar business, but by a million, multi-million dollar business, I, as the owner of this business, Want to? I want to earn a million dollars a year. Yep. Right. Yeah. That's what I want to earn. What does that look like? I say this is what I'm going to create, and then you start defining those goals. Yes. And and creating some clarity with numbers of what that looks like. The desire is there to create this business, but then that gets fundamentally broken down the moment you realize that to create a multi-million dollar business that goes Australia wide. I'm going to lose and have to sacrifice something and we yep. have to sacrifice family, time with loved ones, time with friends, time eating and drinking the fine wines with people that I genuinely want to be around. How do you understand that when you set these goals? Yep. And, and is that what you find? Again, this is the overpowering desire and belief system. Where does it all fall into place for you? Yeah, so you, you've touched upon a few really good points. Uh, and let me just talk about two that have really cropped up. One, once you have a goal and you have a very strong desire for it and you really believe, not just um, uh, uh, you know, superficial talk, but you really believe you can yeah. do it, not that you just say it, kind yeah. of, but don't, but don't yeah, believe I, it. Well, I, think, but, I think a lot of entrepreneurs out there would believe that they have the ability to do what it yeah. takes. However, there's this other... Yep. Alternate. Yep. So, so let's talk about two things. One, what's missing is typically the fourth door, which is the, the how, the knowledge. Yeah. And the knowledge actually breaks down the steps from current state to future state. So I have a clear goal. Um, I, I have to have it. Uh, and I believe I'm capable. What usually is the next sentence, but I don't know how. Mm. And that's super common because they haven't done it before. So how can they you know, in an expert way, know how to achieve something that they've never achieved before. Correct. So it's perfectly normal and logical. Yeah. So then it becomes this investigative process of augmenting the knowledge and uh, you can, through meeting people, through reading, through watching, attending events, whatever the case might be, to understand what the path is and to your point, what's required mm. to achieve that path. So, and that raises the second point, which is the point of trade-offs. There is always a cost for everything. Mm. Nothing is free. Yeah. Uh, and this comes back to, this is why desire has to be so absolute in the things that you set for yourself. If you want to be a, a champion bodybuilder or if you want to be uh, an entrepreneur that builds a multi-million dollar business or you, or you want to be in some small percentage of people that have achieved some amount of success, the sacrifice, and by sacrifice, I mean the time required to do that 
is is huge. Mm. And that is time that you're not going to be able to use to be at the pub with your friends yeah. or to be with family and so forth. So there's two things from that statement that uh, fall out. One, for you to make those sacrifices and stick with them, the desire has to be high. This mm. is why, again, New Year resolutions and other things fall over. When, when that. And the second thing, and this is a personal decision and choice that every person should make, you need to uh, make the determination that that sacrifice is worth the goal. Mm. I uh, can't tell you how many successful people I've met and a lot more successful than kind of the, me, you, the people that we would meet, but but people that have become billionaires, for example, and that they write books about and I've had the uh, fortune of meeting and spending time with. I can't tell you how many regrets they've passed on to me mm. where, uh, where they conveyed that the thing they pursued wasn't in the end worth the trade-offs that they made. Like, like one very famous person in the US said, I spent my entire career doing X uh, and I got to the top of my game. But, but along the way, I've now got no relationship with my children. I, no amount of money can buy me uh, taking them to the park or a baseball game or, or getting in bed and reading a, a, a nighttime story and so forth. So this is kind of the situation where some very elite goal is achieved and the price for achieving that goal has been so high that in retrospect, someone looks back on their life and says, God, that really wasn't worth yeah. it. And, and that's why it's the knowledge is very important and the, and the decisions are personal ones that people have to make. So I'm going to ask a question on that because you and I both believe that there's a specific formula for everything. And we talk about books. You're a big reader. I'm a big reader. Yep. You, you walk into a library and there's thousands and thousands of books there with all knowledge of someone who's had a thought they've been an expert in what they've done and they've written a book about it to teach others right so nine times out of ten what you're trying to achieve has been achieved by someone someone else is the formula that's in place and let's think of an excel formula right you know equals this cell equals this cell equals this cell is this formula always at the sacrifice of family and kids and, and, and whatnot. Because I hear yep. that so, you know, you talk about the billionaires, you talk about the millionaires, yep. the people who've built these multinational businesses, global businesses, yep. they've always had to sacrifice yep. family. Yep. All of them. Yeah, so I, I can tell you from personal experience that it doesn't have to be that way. And mm-hmm. I don't feel like I've sacrificed any um, family along the way. So I've, I've had a couple of benefits. One is I had the benefit in the US of meeting successful people, hearing those stories and reflecting, and it comes out in life and have a second, and reflecting on how I, what kind of father I want to be. Mm. Uh, and I really wanted to, my father always had a lot of time for me because he was a university professor. He mm. was not a business person. He walked me to school every day, picked mm, me yeah. up. I sat in his office. We traveled together. He, he was never the guy that was working eight to six and did business trips, and I never saw him. It was the, right. it was the opposite yeah. of that. So I wanted to be that that kind of father. But, but, ha- but also, I have business aspirations. So one thing was in the first three companies that I ran, I didn't have any children. So I was married with my wife for, uh, and I don't want to lie to you, almost a decade 
before we had children. Mm. And she worked in the business with me. My father was in the business. So we saw each other all the time. So you, you don't feel like you're sacrificing any yeah. family because fa it's a family business yeah. and, and they're in it. That business is sold. So now you've achieved a different level of financial um, independence Success. or status and, and so forth. I've written a couple of books. We moved to Australia and we decided we're going to have children. In that first year, the business uh, was you know infancy. There was really nothing there. I wrote stories for magazines. I wrote another book, et cetera. And then when the business got going, I made sure that there were several things. One, uh, if travel happened, I would drive the kids to kindy or to school. I'd be uh, uh, back for dinner and, and so forth. In other words, uh, and I'll go through some specifics that are more meaningful, but I tried to constrain the business with my family rather than constrain my family with the business. Mm -hmm. Most people fill their calendar with all the business stuff and whatever is left, they put in their family. For yeah. me, it was the opposite. Yeah. I never wanted to end up, not that I was going to become a billionaire, but I don't want to have a story like that. Oh, I wish I wish Daniel I could do it again and spend more time with my kids. I don't want to be that kind of yeah. person. So there were things that I put into the calendar and then whatever was left became the business. And without a doubt, I think I could have achieved more in business had that not been the case. Yeah. So, so but that's the sacrifice that you. Yeah, but so for example, when we were going in, into state, the kids were still in kindy at Solvit. Uh, I cold called from Adelaide for two weeks, set up appointments for the next two weeks. My wife and kids got in the car. We drove to Melbourne. We stopped in the Grampians along the way. Then we rented an apartment for two weeks in Melbourne. I did all of the sales calls, came home to the apartment. We had dinner or we went out for dinner. And then we went back via the Grampians. And I must have, we must have done that trip, I don't know, a dozen times, mm. 15 times. And then there was enough business to open a Melbourne office hire people and I didn't need to do that anymore. But mm. then I did it with Sydney and we flew to Sydney. Then Sydney was established. And then the business got to a certain level of scale where I didn't actually need to do those things mm. anymore. We had a sales director, salespeople and so forth. So at each and each year, we've got another home in Europe. Uh, this is actually the first year in a long, long time, like since living memory, uh, we used to go away for two or two and a half months with kids and family and let the business kind of fend for yeah. itself, which I think is healthy for the people in the company. They have to step up, they have to make decisions and so forth. It's healthy for the entrepreneur because they disconnect, they refresh, they're able to think about life, about business, have new thoughts, but also intense family time during, mm. during that a period of time. So I never felt like, and I, there's other examples that I can go through, but I never felt like getting to where I am now in life has been at the cost of kids in any yeah. one one of those years. And that is a very conscious, uh, methodical decision yeah. made early on rather than the my. It's again what you believe. If you believe you yeah. have to sacrifice family, yeah. you're going to sacrifice well, family. Well, I, think, I, I think this is yeah. the... I, I am ambitious uh, at heart. I have this burning desire to create and... Uh, but never at the sacrifice of, of being correct. And you got to believe that you can achieve your ambitions without, Absolutely. without sacrificing. The one thing that I'll add, Daniel, which made a real difference in my life, and it was one of the first things um, a business mentor told me, he said, your job in the business, Matt, and this was when I was either still in the university or just out, like really early on, is to make yourself redundant yeah. as quickly as possible. Yes, yes. Uh, in, in like all of my entrepreneurial advice that I've ever received, that's probably been the best because yeah. the as soon as you make yourself completely redundant, not that you leave the business, but you can now, you get your life back. Yeah. 
Now you can spend time with family. There is no constraint or call on your time that must be satisfied or something will collapse. Mm. So you begin at the end and all the dependence is on you. You get a few customers, you grow, and you take this bit of responsibility and and hire someone for it. And then you keep going and saying, I can't wait until we get to this next level because then I'll take this bit of responsibility. I haven't, I'll hire someone for that. And you're looking forward to the day when all of it's gone. Mm. And then you can be in the business and do whatever you and want, strategic activities. Yeah, manage it holistically. Yeah, correct. Operation. Working on your business, yeah, you know, yeah, doing strategic things, et cetera. Or you could come in once every two weeks and and see how things are going and let a management team run it. Like you look at private companies like uh, Vizzy Industries. Mm. What are they now? Seven billion in revenue? Mm. Surely, you know, Anthony Pratt's not coming in every single yeah. day, making sure every single thing is working. So no. that, that for me is an aspiration at a smaller scale to have a company that has that level of uh, sustainability without the owner's influence. And that is, in my view, the key to not sacrificing family along yeah. the way. So or rather, if you, if you make yourself uh, vital to the business's ongoing, you're never going to be able to remove yourself Correct. and you're always going to be sacrificing Absolutely. family. And I guess that falls well into the knowledge piece then, yeah. doesn't it? I mean, yeah. it's, it's, knowledge is power. Oh, It's the number yeah. one commodity in the world, I think. Yeah. You, you, with knowledge, you can do anything. Really. Yeah. The, there was, when, on the knowledge point, you talk about a mentor of yours. A mentor of mine once told me, and I think this is what started my journey of, of reading, reading books, was, uh, and I, I do a bit of property real estate outside mm-hmm. of, of my business as well, uh, developed. I don't know, I mean, like just under six or seven properties now. Yeah, not nothing major, but just I have a love for it. I come fantastic. From a, I have I come from a construction background. Family is all okay. in construction, and and it was my mentor in construction actually who told me. He says, Dan. He goes, you know, the big beautiful homes that have these really fantastic large libraries. Um, um, yeah, and he's like, okay, so those libraries, they're not they're not built because the people are millionaires. They're built because they, well, they the, the money that they obtained started with that library. So the library was first. The library's That's first. That's a great statement. The house comes around the library. Fantastic statement. Yeah, and Love so it. It's, Love it. It's really... Powerful. Oh, it completely changed my thought on knowledge of yep. what that actually meant. That, yeah, just the size of your your foundation grows yes. the, 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 more, the more that you read. So, yeah, it was powerful for me. So, let's show that share. So, the last one is action. Yeah, the hardest. Yeah, yeah. So, it's, it's a, the leap of faith, isn't it? Well, it, it, it's the work. Yeah. And if I've learned anything about humanity, most people don't like to work. Yeah. It's a, you know, very, especially, especially Australia. No, no, no. It's a, it's a very ugly statement, but uh, the, the work required to achieve what we're talking about is, is intense. Mm. Uh, it's, uh, I, I can give you two analogies, like one from all the programs that I've run, keynotes that I've given, can't tell you how many entrepreneurs I've met that have come up to me and said, uh, Matt, can you just give me some advice? I've got a really big week next week. I've got a, I've, and I said, what's going on? And they would say, I've got a presentation on Tuesday. And I would think, my God, that's a big week. You know, that should be 9 a.m. on Monday. There should be four more presentations like that on Monday. And then, and then the rest of the week, right? Yeah. So you have this com- complete um, distortion, disconnect yeah. between what's really required. and what, Ver- Different versions of reality, isn't it? Correct. Yeah. It's like, 
you know, someone goes goes to the gym and rides a stationary bike for 30 minutes and then does some curls with some light dumbbells versus, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger spending four hours in that gym mm. and, and so forth. So the scale of work is different uh, de depending to what you want to achieve. And that's when it gets very difficult. And because most people, just human nature is not the kind... Evolutionarily, we were created to conserve calories, uh, conserve them by not thinking too much about things, <laughs> conserve them from movement, yeah. hoard fat, all of that kind of stuff. We, we haven't come evolutionarily from a place where our body is designed to work as much as possible and expend as much calories as possible. It's the opposite. So you're kind of fighting against, that's why losing weight is so hard. Yeah. You know, you're fighting against the uh, evolutionary development. I'll, I'll, I'll tell of, that to the, my wife. Yeah, <laughs> this is like, you know, you're fighting nature. It's like one of the hardest things in the... In, um, I've it, been using the excuse lately that my, my, my gut is overhanging because of my posture's bad. <laughs> but now I'll send you an email with, with t 10 scientific reasons. Yeah. <laughs> you can, uh, you can use, use one, one a week. Oh, it's yeah. my evolutionary uh, yeah. DNA. It, it'll, like, hold you, it'll hold yeah. you over for, for 10 weeks. And, and, but this is why action is difficult to, to take. And this is why, again, your desire has to be so great. Because at the end of the day, the only thing that's going to make people lift themselves out of a chair and do something is the desire to do it. Yeah. So if the desire is really small, we stay in the chair. Yeah. But if it's raging, you've got like, hey, how much easier would it be for me to not get up at 4.30 in the morning, work on the book? Uh, yeah, there's probably 150 different books that I've got on fiction writing, whether it's dialogue creation or fiction analysis or subtext or plot developments, etc. How easy would it be not to do any of that mm -hmm. and instead lay in bed and have a cup of coffee and watch TV, etc. But I feel like I have to do it. I just, I love it. I, ha mm -hmm. I have, to, and so even though it's difficult and it's, I've been working on this fiction book for a year now in, in the background, I felt like I've developed enormously as a writer even, even since writing this. It, it, it requires action that goes against comfort. And, and yet you do it because your desire is so great uh, to do it. So when we get to the last one, action, action can be over a very extended period of time. It can be sacrificing in nature, traveling or whatever the case might be, and it has to be sustained. And the only way that all of that is going to happen is if the goal that has been set, the desire is high. You can't wait to jump out of bed yeah. and continue. Yeah. And if it's not like that, it's... Um, I almost, you know, in, in my years, Daniel, I've come to the conclusion that businesses don't fail. And I'm talking about startups and entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs give up yeah. because it's so hard to get up every day and go through all of the actions required to build a business. It's just so difficult that unless you really want it, you want it more than anyone else, giving up just... It's just the easy path out. I, I heard a quote, and I don't know who it's attributed to, so I, I can't I can't quote him. You look it up, you might be able to find it. Uh, it was the two hardest things in the world is to start, and number two is to not give up. Yeah, it's yeah. The two hardest things in the world it, when when it comes to business. I think or, the second one is harder. Yeah, because I mean it's easy to start a book, but then to continue. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, I think yeah. the start is. Um, I think that's something, when, even when people come to me and ask me, Dan, you know, what are your thoughts? Yeah. It's the power of just starting. 
The yep. power of just having it cracked. The, oh, I'm not ready yet because my website's not up. Or I'm yeah. not ready yet because I've just got to get this sorted. And it's just like, just go. With yeah, it. just start. Just go with it. Because Agreed. if it kicks off or if it starts working or if something happens, then all of a sudden you're then pushed to finish the website quicker. You're then yep. pushed to make that decision quicker. And it, yep. and it the power of just beginning I is, agree. is huge. Agreed. The, the thing that I want to ask you in, in, in creation of businesses mm-hmm. what is the motivation for you to continually keep creating so i yeah. i mean i have a goal yep. to create a business and you know i'm not going to lie i'm very transparent if someone came and knocked on my door in 10 years time and offered to buy it i'd be interested in talking to them so hey what's the feeling i'd like to talk about that the feeling yep. of and the, the general um the general uh is it happiness or gratitude that you have you would have felt by that journey? And then once that has reached an end, so solve it IT's or solve it has has, yep. um, has finished or been sold, the desire to start again and yep. then to start again. Are you, you ch- is it the chase that you love? No, the hustle no, phase? no, no. I've reflected on that question quite a bit, and the answer to it has been different for all of the businesses that I've that I've started. In the case of Complexica, I never thought after Solver that I'd ever start another company again. Mm. I told people that I wouldn't because well, it's so I've, hard. I've read previous bios that say you're retired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and, and I and I thought I, so. The gap between Solvit being sold and Complexica mm-hmm. starting up, I think, was more than two years. Yeah. And the way it came about uh, was was really two things happened. One. Uh, and this is the most significant. I was at, you know, George is on Weymouth. Yes. So George has two sons. We've caught up the, there a few times. Yeah. So, <laughs> so George has two sons the same age as my two sons. Yeah. And uh, I think it was 2013. I finished the book. The book was out. And I saw uh, George teaching his sons how to make a coffee or one of the sons and serve it. And uh, and it was the whole thing, you know, how to make it on a machine, how to plate it, how to how to put this, everything. And it really touched me to see that. And I was waiting for a meeting. I came up to him and I said, well, that was, that was a really touching moment for me. And George explained how he grew up in a restaurant. His father taught him the best that was in him. He wants to do the same. It's not that he expects his children to run restaurants. It's just what he knows. And he wants to convey it to his children. And I thought to myself at that moment, Jesus, I would love to convey entrepreneurship to my kids in that kind of way, Mm. not through a book or a podcast, but not through telling, but through showing. And that idea fermented, coupled with another one that I really love working with my father. My father's my next door neighbor. Oh, there you go. So uh, we live next door to one another. I've spent my entire, I immigrated when I was a kid. I'm an only child. I'm very close to my parents. And the other um, co-founder, Constantine, was my father's student. 25 years ago and has been involved in every business. We live on the same street. Mm-hmm. We're very close. So given that we'd worked together for a long period of time, it was this restlessness that existed in my father and them to do something again. Mm-hmm. And coupled with my kids, I had this inspiration that I would love to show them everything that I show them that I know about business. So when Complexico was incorporated, I explained shares to them. I explained what a company is. I don't remember one of their, I mean, they uh, they come here to staff meetings. They've traveled to the other office. They, they look at financial reports. I've taken them to dinners and lunches with some of our customers and invited their kids and explained how things work. And some of the insights that my kid, kids have relayed back have been incredible. Like right at the beginning, 
one of the first questions when the company was being incorporated, they said, if Complexica gets money, do we get it? <laughs> it's like, like the, and I said, no, no, no. Com- True entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Complexica gets it. And then they got to pay, Complexica has to pay the bills oh, yeah. and do this, et cetera. And then I, sa- and then I said, what's left? They say, they say, we get that. Yeah. So no, no, no. There are three founders of Complexica. We if there's a profit, it. there could be a dividend, but you might reinvest. Yeah. When uh, uh, they were looking at uh, financial reports, or even a better story, when I took them to a dinner with a CEO of a company, later that CEO ended up getting fired. And I explained to my kids, you remember that CEO you met in that big dinner we had, et cetera, that guy got fired. And I said, how, how, he was the boss. How could he get fired? And I say, there's a difference between being the boss and being the owner. Yeah. And all of a sudden they began. So I, it created this huge amount of dialogue where I feel like if I died tomorrow, which I'm, I'm not expecting to do, I feel like I've really passed on a huge amount of information uh, it's kind of like if I was a, d- a movie director and have shown my kids how to make movies. It was the, it's the same kind of yeah, thing. They absolutely. understand in great detail contracts, uh, um, uh, staff, HR, winning businesses, holding events, the whole journey, all of that kind of stuff. And not that they've been super engaged, but there have been some bits where they've been really interested yeah. in how this works, et cetera. So that's been much more of a oh. motivation for me and Complexica. Yeah, than than than, than other things. Whereas in Solvit, one of my primary motivations was the love of innovation. Mm-hmm. It's their love of of being in boardrooms or in executive teams and hearing that they want to do something that's never been done before. And if they do it, it will change their business. It will transform them. It will give them a competitive event mm-hmm. advantage. It'd be like this table that we're sitting at, Daniel. Them telling you if we could do something that's here, just off the table. It'd be incredible, and it requires innovation, and it requires things that haven't been like the Pernod Ricard yeah. uh, project that we're doing now. Yeah. It's it's kind of like a world first of creating a global platform that it's almost like the digital winery. Like there's a digital oil field, the digital mine. Yeah, wow. This is kind of the equivalent. So so I I love that aspect of innovation. Of I, I could never create a business and sell furniture or no. build website. There has to be this element of of breaking frontiers and innovating and doing something new so there's more to say on that but the motivation to do it changes with time and it's not some shallow motivation the love of the chase whatever whatever that is it's something usually quite meaningful and tangible that gives you huge personal satisfaction and provides meaning to your life Mm -hmm. and 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 that will change as you know you have kids as the kids grow up as as you're as you progress through the stages of life yeah, well, your, your purpose for life changes. Yeah. Your goals and your desires change. Precisely, and why you do things yeah. changes as well. Uh, I'd love to touch on some background. Yep. You're, you're, you're commonly thrown in the same sentence with Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> so that's good company to be with. That's, <laughs> so, <laughs> a lot of uh, people I wouldn't want to be in the same no, sentence with. That's, that's I, what, and I know he is a, uh, well, an idol of yours, yes, I guess, yep. if that's probably Since the... early childhood yeah. days. I've, I'm a recent reader. I've read it twice now of Total Recall. He, yes. His, his work ethic. Is incredible. Is, second to none. Is yeah. second to none. Yep. Can you elaborate? Have you built your your career based on his same work ethic? Uh, 
I, I, cause you, I've, you've, we've chatted before yep. and you said to me that what you do is you go out and you find just people who have done things yep. and you just mimic it. I'm, you know, so, so there's a couple, couple of things that I'll say. One, uh, if you liked Total Recall, there are two fantastic books that that are written by award written by award winning writers on Arnold Schwarzenegger that are a hundred times better yeah, than well, Total Recall. One of them is True Myths, True and myths. the other one is The People's Governor, okay. and they are they re- they read like novels. Yeah, well, the quality of writing, so they're much better than, yeah. than Total Recall. Well, Total Recall so, is he wrote it. is his autobiography yeah. not correct? The but the movie, way it's written movie, is yeah. is kind of like a, a workout. It's yeah, yeah, it is. Da-da-da. It is. It is very much like that. Yeah. So uh, secondly, did I try to mimic Arnold's uh, work ethic? I I think it's almost impossible to mimic. Like uh, there's only so many days that you could go into the gym and work out for four hours before you collapse, Mm. uh, for for example. So there's... uh, you know, you talk about outliers, exceptions, et cetera. It's a person that I, I, I can't find a parallel with. You know, how many people do you know that have reached number one position in a sport, then uh, became self-millionaires through business, then reached number one position in movies, the highest paid actor of all time, and then reached the highest position in politics that he could uh, attain yeah. uh, not being born in the United States. So there's something beyond lack beyond yeah. etc and and part of it has this huge uh, work ethic uh, kind of behind it what he did teach me in reading the books and i've met him a, a few times is that you have and, and this is really the the opening chapter not the opening chapter but the first door of success you have to be really clear on what you're going to go after and then you've got to outwork anyone else yeah. that you're that, you, that you're going up and against. i think you, you hear that and i've only read the total recall his autobiography yep. you, you can hear that in just the way it's written it's, yeah he he creates clarity for his goal for you to understand in his book yep. and then yep. you just go oh my god it's so detailed yeah into how of course he's going to achieve it because it's mapped out so fundamentally yep. well that he he it, it'd be hard for him to fall over the, unless he's desired it as well. And this is goes to the last door of success action. My my other idol, uh, which I hold in equal esteem, uh, long dead now, Jack London. So he passed more than a hundred years ago. But his secret can be summed up in one sentence: work all the time. That mm-hmm. was his secret to success. So this is a guy that got a sixth grade education, mm-hmm. uh, and then by sleeping four hours a day. And studying the rest eighteen, studying grammar, studying English, how short stories work, teaching himself how to type, how to write, etc. Ended up being one of the highest-paid authors of all time. Call of the Wild, mm. White Fang, all mm. you know, Harrison Ford is in the uh, Call of the Wild movie that yeah. that came out. So I really res- both Arnold and Jack London are self-made rags to riches stories they're very entrepreneurial they were very clear on what they wanted and the work that they put into it is second to none mm. no one worked like either no. of those people to to kind of achieve the goal how easy would it have been to give up oh easy yeah very yeah. when because he had the, you know uh, for a young teenage boy had a lot of females chasing after him he could have chosen the wrong yeah. life just from from that alone yeah. the party life i guess is where and he just didn't relent did he i yeah. think that's the other thing though it's the you talk about all these outside distractions and you know it's the entrepreneur that gives up 
Is it the entrepreneur that's giving up, or is it that other things become more important? Well, it's it's the same thing, yeah. kind of in 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 the. And by the way, there are very legitimate reasons to to to, to give up. So life circumstances change, uh, your value system changes, what, whatever the case might be. So I'm not uh, down playing or poo hiring people yeah, yeah, people, yeah. people that get. Absolutely. But but many times people have grossly underestimated the effort required. And then when they find out what effort is required, they they can't sustain it for the period of time required. And then giving up kind of occurs. And it's not just in entrepreneurship; sports is a similar kind of thing. It's it's, it's everything. Even uh, people that just want to develop a career, it requires a sustained level of output over an extended period of time that is very difficult to maintain unless your desire is there, burning every single day. Yeah. Otherwise, it becomes an awful existence. That opens the door to the current situation that we're in, which is COVID-19. Yep. And a few people have come to me during this time and said, Dan, what do I do now? Become redundant. Uh, yep. I've, you know, my career paths all of a sudden at a halt. Yep. And my constant and my standard reply is, Invest in yourself now. Yep. Now is the time to invest in yourself because out of this, you want to be in front of the next guy or the next girl yep. where you uh, have an improved knowledge beyond yep. and, and it just keeps coming back to that knowledge piece. Yep. It's improving yourself and, yep. and the mindset to continue with that. Yep. What's your advice for people now? Yeah, it, it, so two answers come to – actually one answer, but let me preface it by the following – the current environment is so uh, much different and more difficult than any previous crash or crisis like the uh, global financial crisis or the tech crash or uh, even things that came before it because th there is a restriction on our ability to travel and interact with other people, mm -hmm. which didn't used to be the case. So if the restrictions didn't exist and this was just a major, major downturn, where in downturns, lots of people lose their job, the advice that I'm going to say next would still be the same. But what I would also advise is get out there and meet as many people as possible. I also think that's a secret to entrepreneurial success. Yeah. You know, the size of your network is a huge determinant in your uh, ability to succeed. People that have huge networks and are well-known and know a lot of people, it's easier for them to find the next job it's easier for them to win business uh people refer them uh, and, and so for yeah. everything if no one knows Relationship you building. yeah absolutely if no one knows you and you've got 15 connections in linkedin everything's difficult mm. you're unknown no one can vouch for you etc so i've always believed and this is when we talked about um where this book came about early on when i was given keynotes long before the book in the u.s one of the key things that i would preach is build your network to the maximum size before you need it. Mm. This is the similar to that. People begin developing a network once they're made redundant. Once mm. they think about starting, you need to think about three years ahead of time, start building your network so that if you're ever made redundant, you can fall back on a big network and so on. The problem with today's environment, you can't really do that. You can't. I'm getting all these invitations on LinkedIn that are awful. You know, every invitation comes with a message. Hey, I want to sell you this, right? So, so it... It's, it's not really the ideal way to meet people and develop networks because everyone's gone to digital and it's much better to do in person. So I think the current environment has to play itself out so that people can get out there again mm. and do the relationship building. What everyone can do, and this is the second component to it, 
is not only invest in their knowledge and read books and uh, attend courses, whether they're virtual or, or, or listen to podcasts so that they know more, but they could actually do something that increases their own brand value and their own uh, worth, so to speak. One thing that they could do is they could write a book themselves. It's actually not difficult to write a book. Mm. Imagine spending 10 or 15 years in something. You've probably got some unique insights mm. on that. And if you could write that up into a text and even uh, have just basic editing done for it, you could load that to Amazon. It could be printed on demand and you could go and apply for jobs while leaving a book on the table about this particular sector, what you've learned and so forth. So I think people uh, not having the ability today to go and travel, meet people and develop their network like in pre-crisis days still have the ability to make themselves more knowledgeable and smarter, but they should also think about what they could do to increase their own brand and their own personal differentiation in the marketplace. And if it's better than sitting at home and watching TV, Go and write. It doesn't have to be a big book. It could be 50 pages. It could be Even blogs. Just yeah. Blogs. Yeah. Articles, white yeah. papers. White papers. Uh, you know, let, let me uh, write. Because these are the things that create differ differentiation in job interviews, mm. right? There's a million candidates. And sure, they've got different education and salary requirements and experience and so forth. And most of them, I'm willing to bet, are not going to come with publications or with books or, or things like that. So I think... They even buying books and reading them on how to differentiate yourself in the marketplace mm. would be a great start. Mm. And probably in those books, which I haven't personally read, I'm sure there's great tips on what you could do to differentiate yourself yeah. and you could follow them. So those are the kind of things that encourage people to yeah. do. And once they can go out and expand their network, they should make that a personal KPI each week, each Friday for them to know more people and have had coffees and sit downs with more people than the, than the previous week. So I know 100 people on the start of Monday, come Friday, it's 110. Next Friday, it's 119, then yeah. it's et cetera. But in the world of, of that we're in now, that and you're saying that you're getting hundreds of yeah. uh, LinkedIn messages. I wouldn't do this virtually because it's, it's a nuisance. Yeah, so so is, it had, it, is it a phone call? It, it could, I mean, I'll tell you when. How, how, how else other than the. the, the well, you, you could do it. I, I'm, I've always been a face to face kind of person. So you could do it in South Australia because we're more or less in a state that has eradicated the virus, yeah. right? But you're not going to go to Victoria yeah. and have meetings. When I came to South Australia uh, uh, at the very beginning with my wife, before the business was started, I went and found, uh, this is how I met uh, Grant Mitchell at MHM yeah. and how I met a lot of different people, is I actually created a letter, uh, which was an, in an email, uh, about myself, about this two paragraphs. I'm a migrant from the States. I've got a background in technology, entrepreneurship, et cetera. I'd love to meet with you for 30 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever I put into it, just to better understand Adelaide your industry, and so forth. I probably sent 100 letters or emails with an attachment. And the, and the attachments were different publications that I had from the US. One of them was a good one from Time Magazine. So they did a full feature yeah. on, on my business. So it came with some credibility. But out of the, those emails that I sent, the majority agreed to see me. And I met Playford Capital back then, and Deloitte, and Ernst Young, KPMG, Mint Allison, MHM. Uh, there was a Paragon Funds, et cetera. And there was no agenda other than this one imprinted uh, principle in my brain, build a network before you need a network, mm. right? So I had all this time 
to go and meet people while my wife was pregnant. I was writing a book and just learn about Adelaide without selling them anything. Uh, with, with, and many of those people, they were interested in the States and how things were and so forth. And they ended up being friends kind of for the for the long haul. So the building the network is a really, oh, really important thing. Without, without a doubt. Yeah. So the example of learning Adelaide is a good one, but what about people who have been in Adelaide or been in that state for a long time? What's the sort of – do you have a tip on what their go-to could be? It, just but, learning, about, it, learning it, about your industry? Yeah, but it be? comes back to what their goal is. Yeah. So my goal was I knew I would start another business and I needed kind of the lay of the land – all of those, I, I wanted to meet people of influence, yeah. partners in law firms, partners in accounting. So if you're firms. if you're interested in health industry, yeah, go and target those people in the health industry. And it could be venture capital funds. Yeah. It could be media that covers health. You could cover you could cover it from a wide variety of different yeah. angles. It doesn't so, just have to be so just people. anyone, and just yeah. try to build that network. Correct. Reach Correct. Reach out with an email though. Yeah, yeah. The, the again today. The reason I hesitate is just today's time. Today's uh, you're getting bombarded in, with co- correct. Yeah. Everyone's sending emails, and it's just more difficult than than. Oh, without well, doubt. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I a small. Are you finding the same as well? I own a small business, and my, just having the title director, I get my inbox is full with spam yeah. emails. From, yep. From yeah, so I, I, I hear you. I guess the 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 struggle is how do you get face to face with these people without. Yep. Go through your current network. Network. Yeah. Yeah. Is there is you know I I looked at uh, degrees of separation in LinkedIn. Yeah. I remember um, one thing that I did at the beginning. I don't, I don't think this exists anymore. When I came to Adelaide, is that I took a class, and I can't remember who put it on. It might have been uh, the Department of Economic Development, or it might have been some other organization. Anyways, around networking, mm. and it was such an interesting class. There's probably twenty people in it, and the facilitator uh, showed us how to do polite knocking at events if you want to join a conversation, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But at the end of that day, you had met 20 other people yeah. and you had learned some skills around networking at events and what to do and, and and so forth. So I think like all of the questions that you're asking can be coupled to a statement you made earlier. Books exist that talk in detail to those yeah. subjects, yeah. right? So if your network is weak, buy a book on how to grow your network. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's the kind of kind of the first step, and and it's yeah. and with the caveat that it's just more difficult in this environment than it would have been half a year ago. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. I'm just conscious of your time. Uh, a few, just a few other questions. Sure. What, what's What's next for Matthew? Uh, it It depends on the time horizon. Uh, you know, I don't think there'll be much change over the next three years. The business will continue. Uh, there'll be a few new books and and so forth, but at some point when the company is listed, uh, it uh, it requires even less involvement uh, of of my own. I'd love to write, you know, a, a dozen books, and I'd love to team up with a few people that I've been uh, talking to over the years, and perhaps make a film, uh, something to do like a comedy around like Office Space or yeah. something along those <laughs> yeah. lines. So I'm not talking about you know like Commando yeah, or yeah, the Terminator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as much as I would like to make a movie like that, don't, don't, yeah. don't get me wrong, but something that you could realistically make as an independent filmmaker and you could write a script for on subject matter that you know very well, corporate world, that you could make engaging and entertaining and which could be filmed in Adelaide yeah. and, and so forth. So that, that is kind of where my head is at, at yeah, the moment. My, my kids are 15 and about to turn 14. So you've got the high school years and, and so on. And I've greatly enjoyed living in Adelaide and 
like uh, there's a quote I'll tell you about in a second. I, I think I'll live here for the rest of my life and, yeah. and kind of be buried here. We'll climb you. You know that. And that's perfectly fine. It reminds you of the the scene in uh, Return of the Jedi yeah. where there where Luke Skywalker and Han Solo are on that little uh, skiff and they're about to be thrown into that hole. Yeah. And uh, and Luke Skywalker t- tells Han Solo, "I was born here." Uh, you know, and Han Solo turns to him and says, you'll die here, you know. <laughs> that's the, yeah. I might have not been born in Adelaide, but, but you have the feeling you love it so much it. that you, you'll end up uh, passing here. So the book releases then? You got some... Oh, yeah, uh, n- next year we'll release the one on artificial intelligence. Uh, and then I hope maybe late that year or early the following is I want to release a book that is on business-to-business selling. Uh, and it's what I talked to you about earlier uh, this morning. Everything that I've learned over 25 years around effective selling in a business-business uh, environment because, in my view, without being really good at selling, all of the other stuff doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I really believe in the quote, nothing happens until a sale is made. It's the yeah. beginning. It's you know the, the car being put into first gear and the clutch being released. All the other things fall into place behind that. Absolutely. So um, that opens the doors to a couple of extra podcasts there. I think. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Artificial intelligence and, and sales. Uh, and sales. I'm yeah, keen to get you you're on the sales one too. Uh, I know Michelle, our my business partner. She's like, you're talking about artificial intelligence today. I said, no, no, that'll be the next one. She's like, oh, I want to, I want to listen to that. No one. problem, so, no problem. So we, yeah, we've got to. We don't live far apart, so yeah, it'll be exactly. Easy to organize. Next time we're over. So the. One question that I ask everyone who comes yeah. on the show is, "What is your favorite book?" Yeah, and a, and on, on number two to that, what is the book that you've recommended the most? Favorite book, um, it could also be the one that I recommend the most, but I'm not sure. But it's by Jack London. It's called Martin Eden, and it's a semi-autobiographical book. It's considered one of the top 100 books ever written. Mm. Uh, it's much it's much better than Call of the Wild, The White Fang, but describes his journey in a novel of being a penniless nobody and becoming one of the most famous writers in the world uh, and his journey and the work required to achieve it. And I've probably read that book hundreds of times. I know it by heart. I can quote it because not only is the story so incredible, it's like, you know, total recall. You read about the work. The work yeah. is just unbelievable. Yeah. But it's a gripping uh, book around romance, the why he did it. And he's caught, he's not Jack London in the book. He's Martin Eden. Yeah. So, it's, so yeah. it's, it's his most powerful book because he personified the protagonist with himself in it and related to 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 him so much so uh i and this and the second reason that i love it is it's beautifully written so not only is it a masterful story with an incredible amount of truth to it but the language and the way it's written is uh, is, is is beautiful as well uh my second favorite book is uh uh, called Captain Blood by Raphael Sabatini. It's a pirate story that's been made into movies many times. And my own personal creed as an entrepreneur kind of comes from that book about loyalty to your team, having a small group of people that accomplish the impossible. And when I often send books out or I have friends that I meet with, those are probably the two books that mean the most to me yeah. that I send because they're very... They influenced me in a very profound way, like 
Martin Eden. I read it when I was 16 and it showed me what can be achieved when you work hard. And Captain Blood, I read it around the same time, showed what a leader should be like Mm. in very difficult circumstances and, and, and so on. And there's millions of other books that I've read that are practical nonfiction books, and you and over time they come and go. There's new yeah. books, etc. But the kind of classic literature of this oh. story that you know changed your life when yeah. you read it and you remember the character. Well, that's the alchemist for me. G- correct. Yeah. See, same, it's the same kind of thing. It's thing. it has that novel correct. look to it's it. It's a story, so. but it's a story of hardship. It's a story yeah. of, of growth. And, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So. Amazing. What is one thing that you do on a daily basis? Workout. Workout. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed. A bit of a wow. I'm going, to, I'm going to go running after this. Too. Yeah, yeah. yeah you've you inspired go. me to lose some kilos after that. <laughs> I'm going to skip lunch and, and run that. 10 kilometers. <laughs> is, that, is that before? That better be after the wine and cheese. <laughs> I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll have to fit it in. I've, uh, when I was younger, I uh, thought that I could be a champion bodybuilder. Uh, and uh, was that where fitness is? It, what was it? Fitness uh, forever. Fitness Even before forever, that time, yeah. I, I, the first time I ever lifted a uh, barbell was when I was fourteen. Mm. And since that day, I don't think a week has gone. Like I've, I've had a few injuries that have yeah, yeah. that have forced uh, breaks, but even those breaks were very very short. And I've got a big gym in my home, and it's a and it's a it's I I don't feel good unless I feel uh, in the morning the. The, the, the feeling of cold weight crushing you. Yeah. And I know it sounds crazy. Yeah. And, I, and I'm sure there's some kind of chemical explanation, yeah, yeah. endorphins being released, et cetera, but it kind of sets you up for the whole day with an amazing energy, positivity, and so forth. And I love it. I love is it. that your type of meditation, I guess? Is it uh, I, mean, I, I, I don't meditate. So I don't know what, like I've read books on meditation, yeah, yeah, but, I, yeah. but I don't meditate myself. I think what it does is it you con- you, you, you're concentrating on, your sole thing is to lift that yeah. weight. You, you, you don't think about other things. You don't th- just, you yeah, and you really enjoy it. Like yeah. I'll play music that I like and I've always enjoyed, and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. You have to enjoy the thing that you're doing. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter. Like I don't go and lift for a commercial reason, just like I'm not writing a fiction book for commercial. It's just the love of it, of, of so forth. So the closer you can make your goals to that kind of uh, intrinsic love that you have for certain things, mm. personal interests, et cetera, the more likely you are to succeed because those things are things you would do anyway. Yeah. They're just things you're inherently interested in. Agreed. I uh, I was working out all the time. I was doing the F45. Oh, yeah, that's classes. hardcore. And um, I fell in love with it not because of the fitness piece but because of the community oh yeah that it creates uh just yep. meeting the same people every morning having you there for 45 minutes you yep. you know sweating sweating it out together pushing each other and then you go off to your yep. work and, and you know you talk about networking yeah uh, some of those people have ended up being clients of ours and fantastic stuff like that, just purely because yep. you know you're build a, a relationship you're in a zone with yeah. them really yep. You build a level of trust with these guys because you're helping them, they're helping you. Yeah. Yeah. So the workout thing, I need to get back to it. This COVID's put on a few I've definitely put on a few kilos. And in fact, upon reading, I reread, I reread the book before um, we this interview today and the, the, the fitness thing that you go into and how you concentrate on your health and fitness is re- 
I've sent an email last night actually to say, can I resign back up? Because <laughs> Fantastic. I, need to, I need to do something about Fantastic. it. I need to get back into it because I feel like my body is shutting down now in the sense like I feel like I'm, my back's always sore from leaning over, whereas just going up and stretching and yep. you know, lifting weights and even going for a run, just moving. and Ah, uh, without a doubt. Yeah. Without I a doubt. I was once told a quote, to rest is to rust. And um, yeah, I, I can feel that happening to yeah. my body now. The body, unfortunately, is going back to the statement uh, I made earlier, one that preserves calories mm. and muscles uh, continuously require calories to sustain themselves. So what the body does is it eliminates any muscles that you don't use. Mm. Uh, in fact, I read a quote uh, from an article about space uh, travel for astronauts, space travel, but uh, astronauts going up into the space station. And if they didn't work out, they would lose. And it was some incredible amount. I think it was something like 20% of their muscle tissue in two weeks or something like yeah, that. Imagine wow. like like it instantly yeah. disappears and they lose 1% of their bone mass, I think a month or something like that. So the body immediately start cannibalizes yeah. itself to get rid of tissue that requires calories to sustain itself. And then once, of course, you've got less tissue, uh, there's less calories being burned, so it's easier to get fat. You're weaker, structurally weaker. Mm. It's easier to injure yourself, pull lower back. Yeah. You begin feeling aches that you yeah. didn't have before. Yeah. So it's absolutely <laughs> critical to, to, to push the body in an intense way so that the body signals, I have to have these muscles because on a regular basis, I'm being exposed oh, to these kind of things. The feeling of getting out of bed now post three months ago when I was training, yep. I, I got out of bed and I was sore because of training. And yeah. it's a, it's a now you're sore from laying down. Now I'm sore. <laughs> I'm sore from laying down. Yeah. What is that? I, my it's back, old age. <laughs> but I'm not that old. I think that's what is throwing me here. It's like yeah. something is severely yeah. wrong that yeah. I'm feeling sore from doing nothing. That's, yeah. that's a problem. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely uh, getting back on the horse. Fantastic. So. Thank you very My much pleasure, for your Daniel. time today. It has been an amazing and insightful uh, uh, podcast. Uh, and just, yeah. I could Till next time. We could go for hours, yeah. Absolutely, next time. So let's book him in, Gabs. We'll make it in some time. But uh, I'm sure the, the listeners will get lots out of this. Where can we find you? Do you want to be found? And where yeah. can we find I'm you? easy to find, uh, whether it's on Facebook, LinkedIn. I've got uh, the book has a website, lifeinhalfasecond.com. And I've got a personal website, my last name, which is michaelwich.com.au. So it's Michaelwich. So, what did I say, Michaelwich? Uh, e- either is okay. Yeah. And then the company has a website, complexica.com. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not one to hide. Yeah, great. And there's a fair few YouTube videos yeah, that I think are worthwhile watching yeah. as well. You've got some good content. Thank you. Too. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you very much. Pleasure, Daniel. Till okay. next time. Easy. Bye-bye. Thank you once again for joining us here at Creating Synergy. It's been great spending this time with you. Please jump onto the Synergy IQ Facebook page where the discussion continues after the show. Join our mailing list so you'll know what's happening next at synergyiq.com.au. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you really enjoyed it, please share it with your friends.